Hello again, everyone, and welcome to our Octopulse podcast, Taking the Pulse of the Red Wings Rebuild under Steve Eiserman. I'm Mark Faulkner, Assistant Sports Editor at the Detroit News. I'm with Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Later in the show, we'll have a 2020 NHL draft preview with Dan Marr. But first, Ted, after that 3-1 start, the Wings have lost four straight heading into this game. What went wrong? The power play, the penalty killing, the offense, all of the above. It wasn't a good trip. There's no question about that. Uh, special teams were exposed for sure. I mean, Vancouver, Calgary, they both took advantage of the Wings' penalty kill. And then on the flip side, the Wings' power play wasn't very, hasn't been very effective all season, but it really hit ground zero here on this trip. They're not scoring any goals, Mark. I mean, they're offensively, yeah. it's, it's been very stagnant. The first line that started off so hot, the Dylan Larkin line, they've kind of slowed down somewhat. And there really isn't a whole lot of secondary scoring. Uh, and and Double A, let's just call him Double A. Double A. <laughs> double A and Tiro Hirose have struggled. Uh, Franz Nielsen and Belfield Popula haven't gotten on the score sheet at all. There's a lot of people who really probably aren't playing up to their capability especially offensively, and you know, it's all culminated to this 3-5 and five start right now. You mentioned double-A Andreas Athanasiu. He's got the worst plus-minus on the team, minus seven, just one assist. And today you had you talked to Taro Hirose about maybe getting some more shots on goal, only four shots, and he's minus five, the second worst on the team, Ted. Yeah, but I, I just, you wonder about Hirose. I mean, I think a lot of us got all excited at late last year because it was, it was a small sample size, but he came in after getting signed out of, after graduating from Michigan State and gave him a spark. He was a little bit of a playmaker. He seemed to have good hockey sense, hockey instincts, but yeah. Not a very strong guy. He's physically, he's kind of scrawny, basically. Frankly, you wonder if you know. Ultimately, here in the next few weeks, if things keep on going like this, if maybe a little AHL seasoning might not be the bad, might be the worst idea. He needs to. He's just not creating enough. He's not getting enough shots on net. He's definitely one of the guys they counted on for offense. So if he's not producing it. Um, you know, it just further deepens the problems here. Now, the uh, power play you mentioned, Ted, the uh, two for 21. And in Tuesday's paper, Jeff Blaschel, the coach, talked about three factors, not winning the face-offs. I think that makes sense. Also, a bit too stationary, he said, uh, right. moving the puck a little bit slowly. And really, just not enough power plays. So they're not going to decline these power plays. But what... What possibly could change? I really do think it's the face-off. That's yeah. key. I mean, they're just not possessing them. They lose the puck, then they're trying to chase it. Uh, there is something to be said, too, about just not having enough of them. I mean, you can't get any sort of – they only had one or two Friday night in Edmonton. They're just not getting enough of them, but they just need to – there's no chemistry there right now. There's, it's, they don't look – on the ice, they don't look comfortable. They don't look good. Um they need to change it because in today's game, the power play is so important. And especially this team, they're not going to get a lot of scoring five on five. They need to capitalize on the power play. Before uh, tonight's game, Ted, you wrote about the uh, Jonathan Erickson being put on waivers, his uh, $4.2 million contract uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. If he's not picked up, he could, the Wings could send him to Grand Rapids. You said they could put him up in the press box for a while. Beater, yeah, sure. How significant of a move is that for Steve Eiserman, one of the longer-term defensemen, 
veteran defenseman who's been here during some of the good times, certainly the 2009 playoffs. After Erickson spent two years in the minors in Grand Rapids, he played a major role and was very conscientious, a really strong no, defenseman. You know what, Mark? His play has markedly declined the last three or four years, steadily. There's really no place for him. There's no place. No, he's no, not a part of the future. Not really at all a part of the present. Probably the eighth or ninth defenseman. I think it's a good bold move actually by Steve Eiserman and opens up the door for the further for the guys like Aronek, Chalowski, the guys coming up from Grand Rapids, Oliver Kasky, Moritz Sider. Uh, they like Biega. Biega didn't look too bad okay. here. Good. I think he's, yep. he may, he's not a youngster by any stretch, but he's probably further ahead than Jonathan Erickson at this point. It's a tough business. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. He's his play didn't dictate a deserve a spot on the roster, and I I think there's a slim outside chance that some NHL team, maybe Edmonton. I mean, he's obviously the connection with Kenny Holland. They, they need a veteran defenseman. Maybe there's a fit there. He could still wind up here in a, in a roundabout way. So we'll see. But it just signals, you know, the youngsters are coming. The youngsters yeah. are. It's a, there's definitely a youth. Mid- here. Ted, I think you're right. It might have been a bit of a bold move. I can only imagine. I'm not sure who broke the news to Jonathan Erickson, whether it was Nicholas Cronwall or Iserman. A really proud Red Wing who's been here. You're right. It's part of the business. But still, you spoke to Erickson the other day. He couldn't wait to get back. Right, it looked like he was ready. Yeah, he, he had like hip he injuries. Ready. His back was seizing up. He was ready to play. The team just had their Halloween party. Erickson's part of that. That's all behind the scenes. But it could also be a message that Eiserman's sending as well. They've lost four in a row, and partly because of the indifferent play or poor defensive play, one of their friends is perhaps, well, who knows what his future is. It's a cruel, hard, heartless <laughs> business, Mark. I hate to tell you that, but yeah. cruel. what have you done for me lately? And yeah. that's a guy who hasn't done much lately. So yeah. he's looking at, might be looking for a job here and yeah. soon. 100%. Let's take a break now with our 2020 NHL Draft Preview, and then we'll come back and wrap things up in overtime. Joining us now is Dan Marr, the Director of NHL Central Scouting, a former scout with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a Director of Scouting and Player Development with the Atlanta Thrashers, responsible for about 30 scouts who see about 3,000 games to identify some of the top players. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Does that sound just about right about your job with NHL Central Scouting? Well, NHL Central Scouting, we're, we're a mock-up of what the NHL clubs do. So, like, I have eight full-time guys in North America, uh, four in Europe, and multiple part-time regional guys spread throughout North America and also through the European countries. And in total, we do the same job. We attend a lot of games, and we provide the teams with some rankings for the the top draft-eligible players for the draft. Your preliminary list of players to watch for the 2020 draft in Montreal came out, and right near the top of your A-rated players, and ranked number two by NHL.com, is a player that we featured in the newspaper this week and who could be available if the Red Wings wind up in the lottery Again, his name is Quinton Byfield. He's 6'4", 215. He plays for the Sudbury Wolves. He was the first pick in the OHL, the CHL player of the year in his rookie season. 
as a 16-year-old, and this year he's second in scoring in the OHL as a 17-year-old with 20 points in 10 games. What's he like as a player? What is Quinton Byfield like as a player, Dan? Well, he, he fits into that special category. And normally the, the category when you reference special prefers to like smaller skilled type players. Yeah, this is a, a big man. And the reason what makes him special is that he, he has all the skills and attributes, the smarts, uh, the ability to execute plays at top speed that the skilled player has, but he brings that physical size strength element to the game. And not that he is a, uh, you know, an, an aggressive, overly physical, hard hitting player. It's just, he utilizes his size asset combined with his speed and his smarts to where he, he's very hard to check. It's hard to stop him. And he, he's got that true power forward game where he can go out and he's always able to find ways to contribute. Now, TSN's Craig Button compares Byfield, and this may not be entirely fair, Dan, but Craig Button re, uh, compares Byfield to Jenny uh, Malkin, the three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Penguins. And Red Wing fans will remember Malkin in the 2009 Stanley Cup final. In Game 7, he was named the Smythe Trophy winner, the second star of that game. He had an assist on the first goal when they stole the puck in the second period from Brad Stewart. He was four of seven of face-offs, three shots, one block shot. You've compared Byfield's calm and cool demeanor to Jean Bellevaux. He won 10 cups in Montreal. It sounds like Byfield, because of his size and strength and lateral skating ability, and general manager Rob Papineau told me he has explosive, explosive speed, especially going laterally. It sounds like Byfield might be one of the most NHL-ready players coming out of the draft. Is Would that be accurate, Dan? Well, uh, when you have the, the physical maturity that he has, along to go with you know the unbelievable skill set that a number of these young players now bring to the table, um, you, you, know, you, you can easily say he might be one of the most NHL-ready players. Um, I, I'm not a big believer in comparisons, uh, but I, I did use the Belleville one, and that's for the old timers <laughs> that uh, follow the NHL. In that, he, Byfield plays the game the correct way, all aspects of the game, uh, and he's he's got the humbleness. Like John Belleville was a great gentleman and ambassador to the to our game, and. Byfield brings those same products, but everything he does on the ice, he plays the game the correct way. It's within the rules, within the boundaries. And he's just, uh, like I say, he plays a clean game, but he plays a top-end game. And I'll go against my, my grain of doing comparables, but <laughs> in today's NHL game, uh, because I've, I've had the opportunity in my role with Central Scouting to where we get to spend a lot of time with these prospects, uh, and I've already spent some time this past summer and during the season with Quinton. Uh, my modern-day NHL comparable is definitely Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers. Hmm. Uh, just their, their personalities and their skill sets and the way they play the game, there are just so many similarities. So we're talking this is an elite, an elite prospect for the National Hockey League. 
You know, one final point about uh, Quinton, uh, Rob Papineau, the Sudbury GM, talked about Quinton's old school approach. There's no entitlement. How important is that sense of being part of a team? And, and I asked, uh, in fact, let's first hear from Quinton. I asked him about being number one. And he said, yes, I'm going to push for it, but I'll let the chips fall where they may. And here's what he had to say about what would happen if Detroit drafted him. Honestly, as I said, I'm excited to go anywhere if I'm a draft. That's just a huge honor. I'm not too picky, but uh, Detroit drafting that would be awesome too. Um, you know, a lot of play, good players went through that organization, like Dutchie, Grinstrom, Yasmin, all those players. So I think that's really cool. And then, uh, who is it? Yasmin, he used to coach uh, Tampa, uh, GM of Tampa Bay, and that's, that's my favorite team, so it would be kind of cool to under him as well. There he is there, Dan, talking a bit about the history of the Wings. He knew about it. And any final thoughts about Quinton Byfield, who you know the Wings right now in the midst of a bit of a losing streak, and they've been in the draft lottery the last two seasons. Any final thoughts about Byfield? Well, similar to the sentiments that his general manager expressed there, and as you said, he was well aware of the history of the Wings. I was, I, I, I was with Quentin at a uh, media conference on Tuesday, and I, and he'd seen the John Beliveau comparison there. And there's not that many 18-year-olds that know who John Beliveau was, and he was he was really humbled by it. So like he is an he is just a very humble person, and he, he tries to be the best that he can be. And I think with a organization with Sudbury who are who are trying to take their franchise to the next level there. He ends up being a leader, and his style of play is just infectious where he makes others around him better. And that, that's one of the best compliments you can give any player. Dan, let's move on to the next three players. We're using the NHL.com rankings by Mike Morielli. The number one, the number one consensus overall player is Alexis Lafreniere. He's already in his third season, and he's 6'1", 200 pounds. He's gone from 80 to 105 points the Quebec Rookie of the Year as well. Here he is talking about the pressure of being the consensus number one pick. There's always a little bit of pressure, but for me it's not my, my first, uh, it's not what I, I'm looking at. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get better uh, every day, every game, every practice, and uh, you know, just you know, try, try to focus on, on myself and uh, how I, I can grow as a player. Why would you consider or put Alexis Lafreniere in the mix for the number one overall pick as far as your early uh, prognosis? Well, the, the fact that we, we've had the opportunity now to watch Alexis for two full years, uh, and he's proven himself uh, above and beyond every situation that he gets placed in. And in most of these situations, he's been the youngest player on those teams, and he's been able to excel, and he does so in the, in the same uh, – stature that we talked about with Quentin Byfield. He's just a very humble, hardworking, honest approach player. Uh, he's unselfish, doesn't put himself ahead of his team, ahead of the game. He goes out there game in and game out, but he just has some uncanny hockey instincts. His hockey IQ is off the charts. And he, he's going to continue to physically mature, and as he gets stronger, everything about his game will continue to be enhanced. But right now, the speed in which he can execute plays and 
the smarts that he has that allows him just to be an excellent playmaker, his vision, anticipation, it sets him out as being one of the top players for the draft. And yes, he's a consensus number one going into the season, but as we've alluded to, he it, it's going to be a horse race as we get going on, and it's going to be an interesting ride to the finish line to see who ends up number one. So we have Alexis Lafreniere, number one, Quinton Byfield, number two. We're about to hear from the number three prospect from Sweden, a winger, Alexander Holtz. He's 5'11", 180, 30 goals in 38 games last year. And here he is describing what kind of player he is. I'm a hardworking guy. I try to use my offensive skills. I'm a great shooter. I have great passing. So I like to score goals. <laughs> That's what I do best. So... Yeah, that's my game. Dan, no surprise that Alexander said he's a goal scorer. He loves to score. At the Summer Showcase, one game he had 10 shots on goal. I wonder what you like about his game and why he's ranked this high. He has a very accurate description of himself because he's a very skilled player who knows how to find his way to the openings. And that, and just being open and available on a play is a skill set in all in its own. And there's not too many players that, that know how to do that. In like today's NHL, there are some similar sized players who can execute the same way, which we've seen. And, you know, Alex DeBrinkett is, is one of the, the top ones now. But Robbie Goudreau, uh, Max Domi, these are all players. They, you wonder how is it that they're open and able to get the shot? And then on, on top of it, he does have the scoring touch. He's got a laser shot and he knows how to finish his chances. So when he describes himself as a pure goal scorer, he's very accurate. Absolutely. Number four, Dan, is also from Sweden, a winger, Lucas Raymond. He's been compared favorably to Mitch Marner, although, again, that's not always the best way to go about things. He's 5'10", 165, 63 points last year in 33 games, and here he is talking about the benefits of playing in a league with older players this year. I think it's it's huge uh, to be able to uh, to play against men the size the the speed the structure I think it's a lot different uh, compared to junior hockey uh, and uh, I think it develops you you mature uh, much as a player playing it and uh, yeah I think it helps you a lot. Dan he's playing with older players his stats aren't as great this year but Dan I wonder about the upside of a player like Lucas Raymond. I know he he's made it comparable to to Mitch Marner. And peer against peer, when he plays age group against age group, not playing with men where he's the, truly the youngest player on the team, he's always been a offensive player, a skilled player. One of the things that when you use a comparable like Mitch Marner, it's just the quickness to which they play the game. So there's quickness with his speed and skating, but there's just also quickness in how he reads and reacts the quickness with his hands and how he can execute the plays. And this is what he brings to the game. And another part of his game, like Mitch Marner, you know, you don't talk, when you talk about Mitch Marner, you don't talk about his size because it's not relevant to his game. The same applies to, to Lucas Raymond. And it's the compete that he has in him. Um, you, when you have a, a skilled player who brings the compete, you're going to get good results. And it's an asset for him to be playing against, be playing in the big league. And because he's the youngest guy, like they don't come in and play top minutes. 
So he has to earn every second of ice time, not every minute, every second of ice time. But that's a, a very good learning tool for him, but he's practicing uh, with players every day that are professional league players. He's shooting on goaltenders who are pro goaltenders. So all that, all that happens is that his game is going to improve because the old saying goes, you have to work hard and practice in order to get the results in the games. And this is what he's, he's getting that experience right now by playing at the elite level. Dan, we just identified the top four players by NHL.com. Just two other players that Steve Eiserman might be interested in. Let's look at one of the top defensemen who could slide if the wings drop in the lottery, if they're in the lottery, if they drop to number six again. Jamie Drysdale. He's 5'11". He's playing with the Erie Otters. He's 165 pounds, 40 points in 63 games last year, 15 points in 10 games. I know you've ranked him very highly. What do you think? of Jamie Drysdale? Well, I'll, I'll qualify things just a, a little bit here. Uh, knowing Steve Eiserman, his plan is to be in the playoffs, so they're not even going to be in the lottery consideration. <laughs> but Jamie Drysdale uh, will be a, an excellent pick for any, any team in, in, in the draft, and he definitely will be in the lottery pick in that, again, you have – in today's NHL, smaller defensemen have success if they can skate and move the puck. And this is what this player does in abundance. He, he is arguably maybe the smartest defenseman available in this draft. Just the way he can take control of the play, uh, he's very composed. His puck control game, puck movement game is at an elite level. Uh, he's got good hands for a defenseman. But again, it's all about speed and quickness. He's got a pull-away speed, he's got a recovery speed, and he's got the quickness to evade forecheck pressure, which, as a defenseman, that's extremely valuable. So we've done the top four, the top defenseman, and there's a wild card, a goalie from Russia, Yaroslav Askarov, and you said you saw him in the Holinka tournament. His save percentage there was 96%. Steve Eiserman took a Russian goalie in 2012. Andre Vasilevsky, arguably one of the best goalies in the NHL right now. This goalie may go to a team that has a specific need, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about Askarov, who is moving up the list of many draft experts. This is a goaltender who is someone to get excited about whether you're a fan or whether you're a general manager of a National Hockey League team. Uh, we've had the opportunity now to watch him for three years. And every time, every event that he plays in, he's been a difference maker. And it's not often that you can describe any player or goaltender as a difference maker every time you see him. And he has kind of lived up to that reputation. And for a goaltender, like the best way to describe him is he's smart and he's competitive. Mm. And th those aren't terms that you normally use when you talk about a goaltender. But his size is an asset. He challenges aggressively on the plays. He's got a quick read and react reflexes. And he's just ultra quick movement through the crease. Um, smart tracking the puck, holding his position, very poised. He doesn't give the shooters a lot. And he, he dares you to score on uh, you know, he, he's just that competitive, that, that challenging. So, like, he's definitely there. There's, you know, I'm comfortable right now saying he's going to be the top goaltender in the draft because I haven't seen any goaltender maybe in the past decade 
that's as exciting as, as he is. And, you know, he should go early in the draft. Uh, the draft's not until June. We'll see how it all plays out. But his name, like you said, has already been inserted into the conversation. And, you know, this is a player, a goalie that I have confidence in. He's going to continue to be a difference maker all the time. One uh, quick sidebar here, Dan, about goaltenders in that 2012 draft. After Vasilevsky, six goalies went. And then in the third round, the Wings had a choice of Jake Patterson, Matt Murray, or Frederick Anderson. I'm not going to ask you, like, why this worked or didn't work. I think this is an example, though, of how if you make a mistake sometimes in these drafts, and it's so difficult. And Steve Eisenman has said, if you get two players per draft, Dan, that's a good draft. But if the Red Wings take Matt Murray, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, or Frederick Anderson, who Mike Babcock is counting on to win a Stanley Cup, maybe now the Red Wings with older goaltenders, with Jimmy Howard, and then a new goaltender like Philip Larson, they don't really have something in the middle. So maybe you could speak in just, just in general, Dan, not maybe specifically about that draft, but just how important it is, obviously, to get those two players per draft. It's one of the pitfalls of having a draft with 17 and 18 year olds um, they haven't reached their full physical maturity yet so you're projecting that that's going to come along you're projecting that their game is going to improve and the scouts the scouts are limited they the nhl scouts all work hard and they put the time in and they put the effort in and each team has the draft philosophy and they adhere to that and like you know for the in general the team scouts all do their job, but what happens after a player gets drafted is beyond the scouts. There's, there's a two or three year development window for most cases, unless you're a top pick in the draft and where that player plays how he's coached, what the development system is. Those are all things that aren't in control. So the best philosophy for a lot of teams is you want to draft well and develop better, but patience is the key. And, I I know, like Steve Eiserman understands the the concept of being patient with young players. So uh, I I think Red Wing fans can rest assured that you know Steve will always make the best decisions that are in the best interest of the organization and the player. He'll he'll let them develop at the pace. And I think like you know the Red Wings have done that. They've taken their time with Mantha, for example, mm -hmm. where you know they they made him. You know, he needed some time for his game to mature. He was already physically mature, but he has a skill set that you can't teach. And so I, I think now they're starting to see the, the benefits of showing that patience with the development. And finally, Dan, the U.S. National Team Development Program just down the road in Plymouth last year, eight players, a record eight players won the first round, 17 players in all, virtually the entire team. You've identified two players in the A category, Jake Sanderson, a defenseman, 6'1", 185, and also a center, Ty Smolonic. Um, Ty had 38 points in 54 games last year, a product of the Little Caesars and Bell Tire programs. Can you talk a bit about those two players? Well, last year's team was you know, you could use that term, the team of the decade or a generational team. There, there's not going to be another team come along like that. They, they were an anomaly to where you, you have truly an exceptional year, uh, the 2001 year for, for 
talent. This year's class, we started off with, with the two players. And, and Sanderson, he's just a complete package for a defenseman. And what what's so likable about him is the maturity and composure that he has when he plays the game. So he, he never is uh, rushed into making decisions. He sees the ice well. He's posed with his puck-moving game. Uh, he's not going to be an offensive uh, off- offensive like point producer, but he's a defenseman that makes good decisions in all zones, and that includes at the offensive blue line where he keeps pucks in play and gets pucks to the net. Smolanik uh, was ill for a while, uh, and he's missed some time, so he's playing a little bit of catch-up physically just because he wasn't able to practice for a number of weeks. So he's just he's just getting back into his gameplay. But he, he's one of those players we call like, like a dog on a bone. He wants the puck on his stick. And when the puck's on his stick, he makes good things happen. Uh, he's got, he still has a slight frame, but he, he looks to play that power game strong to the net, always driving to the net. And, you know, I've, I've seen the team uh, – three times now since the start of the year. And already there's there's some other players like there like Tuck and Peterson that are moving moving up towards that A status and, and there's some some other other players like Berard and who's moving up towards a B status. So it's still early in the year. Uh, there's a full season ahead. But while this team everyone might refer to them as the team after the the best team. I think uh, by the time uh, the end of the season comes around here, the majority of these players are going to upgrade themselves. They're going to continue to get better. I just I saw them win their first NCAA game last Sunday, and and the team's going in the going in the right direction. And they're they're going to be a pretty competitive, fun team to watch out there in Plymouth. Dan, thanks for your time today, joining us on the uh, podcast. We'll be in touch probably at midseason and before the 2020 draft at the Bell Center on June 26th and 27th. Okay, we're back for overtime. Lots of players there, franchise-type players like Lafreniere, Byfield, Holtz, Raymond. Worst-case scenario, Ted, tomorrow's game in Ottawa could be a battle for the basement. You're right, the Wings could come back and play well against Vancouver. The top line could play well. And then you go into Ottawa and win, and things can change that quickly, can't right, it? Right, right. Yeah, Buffalo Friday. They usually play well against Buffalo, and they've beaten St. Louis here, too. So I'd keep an eye on the goaltending. I mean, he's alternating oh. Jimmy Howard and Jonathan Bernier. Yeah. I don't think either of them have stood out exceptionally yet, either one of them. Neither of them have been too bad either. I'd be curious. To see, I just want to see what's going to happen here in the next few weeks. Is he going? He says he's going to keep alternating them. I think he's waiting for one of them to grab the bull by the horns and take the job. Um, it'll be curious. Yeah. Uh, neither of these guys are spring chickens. <laughs> I think Jimmy Howard could be a piece at the trade deadline if that if, you know if that if it goes in that direction, but. I mean, if they don't get good quality goaltending, that's just another thing that could sink them greatly here in the standings. Yeah. But good goaltending can keep them afloat. So you know, let's just watch here yeah. with the goaltending the next few weeks. I think that's going to be a very interesting positional aspect of it. Okay, and just a couple of updates. We've added a Facebook page for Octopulse with all of your stories, Ted, some bonus content videos, photo galleries. 
A new logo even, drawn by a Rob LaRue. Check out that podcasting octopus with his headset, microphone, and hockey stick. And we'll be back on Sunday, uh, Ted, before the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues come to town. We'll talk to you then. Sounds good, Mark.